Lord, we thank you for your love and grace in our life. And God, I pray that you would speak to us in a powerful way through this text as we look at some of the last words of David. Uh, Such powerful words, God, and I pray that they would hit home for us, that we would uh, see uh, everything that's in here, uh, even the things that we don't talk to uh, talk about tonight. God, I pray that your spirit would minister to every heart in this room uh, and each individual would get what they need to get from you tonight. The spiritual food that you have for each and every one of your children, I pray that they would receive it. Uh, they would welcome it. They would recognize, uh, God, that you are such a good father. You know what we need to uh, get through the night, through the week, <laughs> through tomorrow. Uh, Lord, and so often you prepare us uh, for the future and set us up for success by giving us spiritual food that nourishes our soul. God, so I pray that that would happen tonight. Lord, refresh us, restore us, speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So uh, the last couple of weeks, we're in Second Samuel chapter 22. And David, we see he's towards the end of his life. And he writes this song of deliverance, praising God for all the various times in the past that God had delivered him from the hand of Saul and the Philistines and Goliath. And the list goes on and on and on. And he writes this eloquent song that is so powerful. And we discussed uh, how uh, God... Uh, not only delivered David, but he's delivered us from various things in our life. And it's something that we should be so grateful for, something that we should acknowledge God for, that we should uh, get uh, together with God and specifically uh, praise God for all the times that he's delivered uh, us. And I was sharing with you guys that God has been challenging me with that. So often I fall into the habit and routine of uh, coming to God and asking for stuff, which which isn't bad. Uh, but I was challenging myself the last couple of weeks to uh, I want to make sure I put these specific time periods um, of prayer uh, throughout my day where I'm just coming to God and I'm I'm praising him for deliverance, just the things that he's already done, recognizing that his grace is sufficient uh, in my life. And it's amazing how when we praise God for his past deliverances in our life, how he brings us to this place of contentment and gratitude. Well, that's where David's at. Now, in 2 Samuel chapter 23, we're going to see, at least in these first seven verses, we're going to look at the last words of David, the final words of David. The title of this teaching is The Final Words from a King to the King. Final Words from a King to the King. Because these are David's final words to God. A man... After God's own heart, the man after God's own heart, remain the man after God's own heart up until his last breath. Now, that's not to say that these seven verses are literally David's final words before God took him home. Uh, What the text is really implying is that these are David's final recorded words, his final recorded poetic words, but he's knocking on death's door. God's getting ready to take him home. And we're going to look at what he was focused on. He was focused on the Lord until his dying breath. That was his primary focus In this life, it was on his relationship with God. That's who he was thinking about when he was getting ready to die. If you knew you were going to die today, what would you do? What would you think? What would you say? Who would you talk to? What relationships would you invest into? Because David, knowing that death is imminent, that it's coming soon, His primary focus is still his relationship with God above all else. We see David speak to God in some of his last words, praising him once again through the form of song. Let's look at it. It's 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 1. Now these are the last words of David. We'll see in David's last words, he expresses the longing of his heart towards God and the eternal salvation that God offers him. 
There are so many powerful things that David says here, and we'll just scratch the surface tonight. But these are David's last recorded poetic words. He says in verse 1, Thus says David, the son of Jesse. David is reminded of who he was, where he came from. And this is point number one. Remember where you came from. Remember where you came from. He's the son of Jesse. Who was Jesse? Jesse was a humble farmer. David was the youngest of seven sons. He was a nobody. He he was the one that was forgotten about. The one that wasn't even acknowledged. You remember in 1 Samuel chapter 16, let me refresh your memory, when God called Samuel to go to the house of Jesse to anoint the next king of Israel, we see he went through every son of Jesse before David was even mentioned. And it says in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 10, Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for he will not sit down till we will not sit down till he comes till he comes here. So we see that Jesse and his family are at this gathering, getting ready to have this feast with this prophet, and David has been forgotten about. He wasn't even acknowledged. He was the one that was left to tend the sheep. This is who David was, and he never forgot who he was. He still looked at himself as this little shepherd boy, this farmer's son. And we even see indication of that during his kingship, during his reign. He never forgot where he came from. Even when God gave David, the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Look at how David responds in 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, Who am I, O Lord uh, God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? He still saw himself as a nobody. Who, who am I, God? Why are you bestowing these amazing blessings on my life? Who am I that you would bring the Messiah from my lineage? I, I'm still just the, the shepherd boy. I, I'm still the, the kid that just found you when I was tending my father's sheep. See, David, he never forgot where he came from. Remember where you came from. Where were you when God first plucked you out of the pit of destruction. I want you to really remember it. I want you to really consider it. Where were you? Who were you when God first showed up in your life? Maybe you were on the extreme side of sin. Maybe you were living the lifestyle of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and and God showed up then. God came and delivered you from that pit of destruction. You guys know my story. That, that's where I was at. Uh, I was stuck in a life of uh, addiction, miserable, helpless, hopeless, hating my life, not wanting to live another moment, another minute, another day. And this is where God brought me from. And it's important for me to remember where God brought me from. Maybe that's not your story. Maybe you weren't so caught up in such a destructive lifestyle of sin. Uh, Maybe your story was uh, uh, I was a relatively good person and and I put pride in my goodness. I put pride in my righteousness and I assumed that I lived a good enough life that when God weighed the the scales of goodness and evil in my life, he would he would say, hey, uh, this man or this woman, they were good enough to get to heaven, but I didn't really see my need for God. Maybe that's who you were. My dad uh, in Columbia He was given an opportunity to share his testimony, which was interesting for me because I never heard my dad share his testimony. And he he asked me to help him with it a little bit. And it was like really cool to see his perspective. I have my perspective, but his perspective. And he said, 
I took pride in, in being a good person. I, I always tried to do the right thing, and I can vouch for that. My dad was, was a good father. Um, he, he didn't pursue a strong relationship with the Lord, but he was, he was a good man. And he said, you know, I did good things, and I, and I realized that if I did good things, then people liked me more. So it was really this, this self-righteousness and man-pleasing thing. But it wasn't until my dad realized that he couldn't even keep his own standard of goodness, that his goodness didn't add up, that he finally was awakened to the reality of his need for God's goodness. And God showed up in his life. See, David, he remembers where he came from. He didn't forget. It's important for us. It's important for me. It's important for you to reflect on where God brought us from. Who were we before God showed up in our life? Because then look what he says after this. The same sentence. Thus says David, the son of Jesse. Thus says the man raised up on high. God took David from being this little shepherd of his father's flock to ultimately being the shepherd over God's flock, the king of Israel. This is point number two. Consider how far he's brought you. Consider how far he's brought you. David came from humble beginnings and God made him great. God made him the greatest king that Israel ever knew other than Jesus the Messiah or God himself. Consider where God brought you from and consider where you are now. He took you from a place of hopelessness and helplessness and he did something new in your life. In fact, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 that He's made you a new creation. When you came to Jesus Christ, He literally made you something new. He made you something different. He made you something special. He made you something precious. He made you His own special treasure, His own special people. He gave you a purpose. He gave you a life. He gave you a reason to live. And not only that, He bestowed blessing upon blessing upon blessing in your life. Consider where you were and consider where you are. That's all by the grace of God. God did that in your life. It wasn't you uh, just getting your act together. God showed up and, and he did a miraculous work in your life and he made you something new. And consider all that you have now. Maybe God blessed you with a wife, blessed you with a husband blessed you with children, blessed you with family, blessed you with friends, poured out an abundant amount of blessings on your life. And maybe you don't have those things. Maybe you did have those things. Or maybe you've never had those things. Need I remind you that the greatest blessing that we can ever receive in this life is a relationship with God. And that's still offered to every single one of us. It truly is the greatest blessing in this life, having a relationship with God. As we grow in our relationship with God and we make him the focus of our life, we make him preeminent in our life. That he's the object of our affection. He's number one in our life. When we put him first in our life, then inevitably, eventually, He will bestow so many blessings on our life that it will just rock our world. He promises this. Jesus says it himself. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. If you put God first, if you seek him first, if your relationship with him is the number one priority in your life, he's going to take care of everything else. When we put him first, he blesses us in ways we could never imagine. You think he's brought you far right now. Wait till tomorrow. Wait till next week. Wait till next year. Wait till 10 years from now. Because God, through a relationship, he promises this progressiveness that will continue to experience him more and more and as we experience him more and more he does a greater and greater thing in our life the point is he's not done with you yet he still wants to make you great he wants to make you great why because you're his kid and he wants his kids to be great in this world 
We can look back and go, man, God brought me so far. If you only knew how far he still was going to bring you. There's so much more to come. The blessings aren't over. The adventure isn't over. He's still got work to do with you. He's not done with you yet. Thus says the man raised up on high. Now the reason David is the man that's raised up on high. The reason God exalted David is why? Because David exalted God. This too is a promise. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 12. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 12. Jesus says, And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. David purposed to exalt God, and God exalted David. But the flip side is true as well, as we see in verse 12. If we're purposing to exalt ourselves, if we're purposing to make our name for ourselves, then we're asking to be humbled. But we live in a culture more than any other culture that I've ever experienced in the other countries that I've been to. But we experience this culture of individualism that everybody is out to, at least most people are out to, uh, make a name for themselves. Uh, You grow up and what do you want to be? A famous actor, a a famous athlete, a a movie star, or something great. Uh, Most kids don't grow up and they say, I want to be a farmer, I want to be this, uh, or this lowly position. They think about, I want to be what I see on TV, I want to be a superhero, I want to make this great name for myself. Bible says our objective isn't to make our name great. It's to make God's name great. It's the purpose to exalt his name. The reason David's name was exalted is because he purposed to exalt the name of Yahweh. We see another great example of this mentality in the person of John the Baptist in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, Jesus says that there's no greater man born of a woman than John the Baptist. He was the greatest man ever born of a woman. Why? Because John the Baptist, he didn't engage in his ministry because he was trying to make a name for himself. He wasn't trying to just start this ministry called the ministry of John the Baptist. What was his ministry all about? His ministry was all about preparing the way for the Lord. His ministry was all about pointing to Jesus. He wasn't pointing to himself. He was constantly pointing to Jesus. So much so, when Jesus finally came on the scene and John the Baptist recognized that he is the Messiah, what did he start doing? He started pointing people to Jesus. And he even says in John chapter 3 verse 30, uh, he must increase so I must decrease. Uh, I need to get out of his way. This is his world. This is his show. This is his movie. He's the director and the star actor and I'm just a supporting cast and I'm grateful to be a supporting cast. I'm just grateful to be a part of the movie. This was his mentality. He was purposed to exalt the name of the Lord. He realized it wasn't about him. This is the same mentality that David had. And because he had this mentality, God made him great. The man raised up on high. He's not speaking from a place of pride. He doesn't say he raised himself on high, up on high. He recognized that it was God's doing. God raised him up on high. It wasn't David trying to exalt himself, make a name for himself. God did that. He says... The anointed of the God of Jacob. David was anointed. In 1 Samuel 16, 13, we see he was literally anointed with the Holy Spirit to be king long before he ever gained the position as king. God anointed him as king uh, before he was uh, truly able to sit on the throne and wear the crown as a king. See, David recognized that God empowered him to be all that God had called him to be. It was through this anointing, it was by the power of the Holy Spirit that David was able to become this great king. Guess what? God offers you an anointing as well. He offers you an anointing of his Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, 
He says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That promise wasn't just for the disciples. That promise was for every disciple who would ever follow Jesus from that point forward after he sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. God has anointed you for a specific purpose. Generally speaking, God anoints us with the Holy Spirit to live lives for him, to do this whole Christian thing. To live the way that he lived. To walk the way that he walked. To talk the way that he talked. A.W. Tozer. He has this pretty famous quote. It's pretty sad. But it's powerful. He says this. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. The Holy Spirit often gets neglected in the church. The Holy Spirit often gets neglected in the church because the Holy Spirit often gets neglected in individuals' lives, in, in Christians' lives. They forget that we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do what God has called us to do. It's absolutely essential. Uh, we can't do it without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So what do we do with that? We ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit daily, moment by moment. Anytime we sense that we're walking in the flesh, it's an indication that we need to ask once again for the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. David, he recognized that. He needed the anointing of God to live a life for God. But David wasn't just anointed with this general anointing david was anointed specifically to be the king of israel see the bible speaks about different anointings god anoints specific people for specific purposes we see this in ephesians chapter 4 in ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 says and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the uh, work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So we see God does place specific anointings on specific people to answer specific callings. But there's also reality that God offers an anointing for every single believer. Why? Because every single believer has a specific calling. Every single believer has a specific purpose. We see in 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. In 1 John 2, 20, this epistle is written to believers. And he says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. He's not speaking uh, to a bunch of pastors or, or elders or evangelists or prophets. He's speaking to the church as a whole, as individuals. He says, you have an anointing from the Holy One. You've each been anointed by God for a specific purpose. What are you doing with your anointing? We see what David did with his. Not only was he a king, look what it says here. The anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. David wasn't just a king. He was a prophet. He was also a a psalmist. God gave David unique abilities, unique giftings for God's glory. One of the gifts that he had was to write these beautifully God-inspired psalms that we have today that we can still read and they penetrate our hearts, they affect our lives, we can relate to these things. That was one of David's gifts. He was a king, he was a leader, he was a prophet, he was a psalmist, he had many gifts. But God's given you gifts too. And this is why He anoints you for specific purposes so that you can operate in these specific gifts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Verse 11, it says there's a diversity of gifts. There are many different gifts, but God uh, gives to each one as he wills. Implying that God's given everybody a gift. Every single believer, God gives uh, at least a gift, if not many gifts. David had many gifts. You may have many gifts. Do you know what your gifts are? Do you know the specific purpose in which God anointed you? Because there is a purpose and there is a calling and there are gifts associated with that purpose and that calling. God's the gift giver. We 
are charged to receive the gifts and do something with the gifts? Are you operating in the gifts? Are you wasting the anointing of God? It's God, just as you use David. Maybe not as uh, maybe not in an extreme way like he used David, but maybe, who knows? Just as God used David by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, He wants to use you. He wants to use every single one of us, every one of His children. And He won't force you to be used. We've got to be willing to be used. You could say David was anointed king of Israel and he walked away from his calling. It, it, the Bible could have said that, but he didn't. He stuck with it. He answered it. He purposed to thrive and grow in it. Continuing on, Second Samuel. Chapter 23, verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and His word was on my tongue. David had a gift as a prophet, God. He spoke through him at times. God also used prophets to speak to David, but David had uh, this gift, this calling as a prophet. That's why we see the Psalms are indeed inspired by the living God. But just as God spoke through David, God wants to speak through you. That's point number three. As long as you're alive, you have a message to deliver. As long as you're alive, you have a message to deliver. And David knew this up until his last breaths. That as long as he was alive, as long as God was speaking to him, he had a message to communicate to people. And we have that message. And that message is very clear through the gospel. But we also have the power and the calling to deliver the message. As we mentioned, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. What's the purpose of the power? He says, but you shall, uh, but, but you shall receive uh, power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me. That's the primary purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. To, to bear witness to, to who Christ is and, and what, he, what He's done for us personally and for the world in general. all got to recognize that God has given us this anointing for the specific purpose to tell people about Jesus. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 20 in Jeremiah t- chapter 20 verse 9 Then I said I will not make mention of him, speaking of God, nor speak any more in his name. It's like, man, (laughs) they're really coming after me when I speak in the name of the Lord. When I speak in the name of the Lord, there's persecution. But then look what he says right after that. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. He says his word was in me like a burning fire. The the power of the word of God, I could sense it in my bones. I, I couldn't hold my tongue back from sharing the gospel. This is the heart that each and every one of us should have that, that we can't help from telling people about Jesus. This is the heart that Jeremiah had. This is the heart that God wants to give each and every one of us. And he can give us that heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have that heart, ask for it. Ask God, man, God, I want to be able to say that, that that when I run into an unbeliever and God opens the door uh, to have this conversation, uh, Lord, that you wouldn't let me walk away from this conversation without mentioning your name. Because that person's eternal destination could be hinged upon whether or not I open my mouth. And just say the name of Jesus and, and tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. What He's done for me. How I've seen Him show up in my life. How He's brought redemption to the entire world. This was the heart of Jeremiah. This was the heart of David. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me. God wanted to use me to speak a fool like me. A flawed man like me. Yeah. Yeah, you. He wants to use you. He wants to speak through you. And as long as we live, He's got a message for us to spread. And He says here, 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 3, The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. David spoke to people what God spoke to him. 
God spoke to David. God wants to speak to you. It's point number four. As long as you're alive, you have a message to receive. As long as you're alive, you have a message to receive. God wants to speak to us. Every one of us. He wants to speak to every one of his children. He says, there's an expectation. If you're my sheep, if you're my children, you're going to hear my voice and you're going to respond to it. He says this in John chapter 10, verse 26. He says, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Jesus makes it clear that he's not just talking about the disciples. He talks about these future flocks who were to come. He's talking about every believer. God wants to speak to every single one of us. This too is a promise from God. He wants to speak to us. He wants us to to hear from him. And we know God, he speaks in various ways. He can speak through the word and through prayer and through situations and circumstances and people, you name it. But God wants to speak to us. Are are we tuning into his voice? Do we want to hear what he has to say? Are we inviting him to speak to us? Are we asking him to speak to us? Or are we shutting him out? Are we closing our ears? Do we not want to hear what he has to say anymore? Well, last time God spoke to me, it was pretty tough. Got a hard saying for me. He challenged me in an area of my life. Well, I let the challenging words of God, the hard sayings of God, lead me to close my ear to God. God wants to speak to us. We've got to have ears to hear. We've got to have eyes to see. What's God speaking to you? What's he been speaking to you lately? What's he been speaking to you today, this week, this last month, this past season, this past year? God's got a word for us on a regular basis. We've got to learn how to hear his voice and tune into his voice. If you don't hear from the Lord, okay? if you don't hear from the Lord, this is what I want you to do. I encourage you to do it. If you really want to hear from God, if you're not hearing from God, Wake up tomorrow morning. Ask God to speak to you. Say, God, I want to hear from you. Have a willing heart to hear what he has to say and open up this book. Just open it up. And as you start reading this book, what do, this is what I want you to do. I want you to start writing down what you think God's speaking to you. What verses are standing out to you? What words are standing out to you? I guarantee you this. If you stay faithful to do that, you will see that God is speaking to you. And you'll see that the very scriptures that are standing out to you, it's not just, uh, I like this scripture. You'll see, if you're being real with yourself and real with God, you'll see, oh my gosh, God's giving me this word because this is happening in my life. And God's preparing me for this. And God's trying to reveal this in my life. And you'll see, sometimes God will even speak to you prophetically. But we've got to be willing to listen. And we got to be willing to, to, to seek him and want to hear what he has to say. But it takes a pursuit. It takes the seeking. He says, if you seek me, you'll find me. If you want to hear me, if you're listening, I'm speaking to you. Just as the God of Israel spoke to David, he wants to speak to us. As long as we're alive, he has a message to give us. The text continues back in verse 3. This is one of the things that God spoke to David. He who rules over men must be just ruling in the fear of God. David recognized that there's a, a heavy weight, a serious responsibility with being a leader in general, especially uh, a leader over God's people. Specifically, he expects leaders to, to lead justly with the fear of God, not just spiritual leaders, uh, all leaders. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone who God puts in the position uh, as a leader is going to lead justly and fear God. Nevertheless, leaders, we see, will be judged according to the way that they lead their people. In Hebrews chapter 3, sorry, 13, Hebrews chapter 13, Verse 17 says here, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. He's not just talking about believers that rule over you. He's talking about all governing authority. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for for that would be unprofitable for you. See what he says there? As those who must give account 
Those who God places in a position of leadership must give an account, not to the people, but to God ultimately. We all have to answer to God one day. Leaders especially. Everybody is affected, not just by the decisions of a leader, but most importantly, every person is affected by a leader's relationship or a lack of relationship with the Lord. There's a direct correlation in where the people are at and where the leader's at in their relationship with the Lord. And we see this correlation in First and Second Kings. We see if the leader was leading justly, was leading in the fear of the Lord, was following God, then the people were in a pretty good state. And when the leader turned their back on God, or if the leader never walked with God, there were consequences for the entire nation. The reason the Babylonian exile happened wasn't just because the people were idolatrous. It was because of decisions that leaders previously made, specifically Manasseh. That that was one of the primary reasons why God judged the Israelites through the Babylonian exile. was because of a decision of a king to worship idols and sacrifice his children. David recognizes that there's this, this heavy weight with being called king. There's this heavy weight with being called the leader of God's people. And God has an expectation that the leader would rule justly, ruling in the fear of God. Now, we also see the rest of this passage is really prophetic. David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is pointing to the king who would come. Okay, Because no leader ever leads perfectly in the fear of God. No leader ever leads perfectly just. He's speaking of King Jesus, who would rule in the fear of God, who would rule in justice, in righteousness. Every leader falls short of the perfect standard that God has set. I believe that much of humanity longs for this perfect leader. I won't say all of humanity, because a lot of humanity longs to be their own God, longs to be their own own leader, but much of humanity, I believe, longs for this perfect, righteous leader. Uh, Our experiences with poor leadership, because every leader will fail you, okay? Your husband will fail you. Pastors will fail you. Spiritual leaders will fail you. They, make, make, they might make a decision that you don't like, that you don't agree with. Every person that's a leader in your life is going to fail you in some way because we're imperfect. But Jesus, he'll never fail us. He's a perfectly righteous leader. And I believe as we go through this life and we recognize the imperfections of leaders, it puts in us this desire, this longing for this perfectly righteous king. Deprivation stirs desire. As we've been deprived of this perfectly righteous leader, it produces in us, and I think God means it that way, that we would desire, we would long for this day when King Jesus would rule and reign on this earth and we would be in perfect harmony with him, David recognizes the charge that he has as a leader, as God challenges him with these words. He continues in Second Samuel chapter 23, verse 4, And he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. He shall be like the light of the morning. If the leader leads justly with the fear of the Lord, he's going to bring light to the people. In one sense, the light of the nation is contingent upon the light of the leader. And we'll see that this is true. During the rule and reign of King Jesus, he's the light of the world. As Jesus rules and reigns over this earth, we'll experience light and life. He speaks of the morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. Godly leaders going to bring restoration and refreshment to the people. Godly leader, one who fears God and purposes to walk in righteousness, is, is going to build up the people. There is going to be this refreshment. There is going to be this restoration. But the fulfillment of it, again, won't completely happen 
until the millennial kingdom when Jesus Christ rules and reigns on this earth. He'll bring refreshment. He'll bring restoration. He continues on in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 5. Although my house is not so with God, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure, for this is all my salvation and all my desire. So, as David recognizes this charge as a leader to, to, to walk in the fear of the Lord, to, to walk uprightly, to, to walk in the light, to not lead people in darkness, and this correlation between his relationship with the Lord and the state of the people, the state of the flock. And he recognizes, although my house is not so with God, he realized he didn't live up to the standard. He, he, he recognizes. He's humble enough to admit, I know that's not me. I know I didn't do this perfectly. At times I did, and there were times that I didn't. you got to remember David's sin against Bathsheba and Uriah, the adultery and the murder that followed and the deception and the lies and the darkness and all these different things. David recognized he didn't live up to the standard. But there's good news. Look at that second part of verse 5. Yet... He has made with me an everlasting covenant. Though David knew he fell short, God still blessed him. Though leaders often fall short, especially spiritual leaders, if a leader's heart is truly set on God, there is so much grace. There is so much mercy for the shortcomings. There is so much love and forgiveness if our heart is truly set on God, despite the fact that our house might not be perfectly in order, that every decision that we make might not always be the right decision. There's grace. There's mercy. He mentions the everlasting covenant that God made with them. David realized he didn't earn the Davidic covenant. There's nothing that he did in his life that was worthy of, of earning this, this amazingly powerful covenant, this covenant that we see in Second Samuel chapter 7 that we studied in the past, this covenant that, that God says, I'm going to establish your house, I'm going to establish your dynasty through your lineage. There's going to, king be, become a, there's going to come a king who reigns and rules forever, telling him the Messiah is going to come through your lineage. This is specifically the everlasting covenant that he is referring to, but he recognizes this everlasting covenant that God made with him has to do with salvation. It has to do with the Messiah who would ultimately bring salvation to this earth. As David approaches death, he recognizes that this life isn't the end. The, the end of this life is just the beginning. This is point number five. Consider the life you'll have in the future. Consider the life you'll have in the future. We benefit from the Davidic covenant, covenant, the, the covenant that God made with David. Why? As I mentioned, the fulfillment of that covenant is through none other than the person of Jesus Christ. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we get the blessings of that covenant. We get to experience eternal life with Jesus Christ. We'll be in heaven with him forever, whether he comes back to get us or we die in this life. That's the blessing that we receive from this covenant. Through this covenant, we can become children of God through the fulfillment of this covenant. And as children of God, we get to experience heaven. We get to experience his presence forever. As Paul discusses heaven, his experience, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. I know a man who Christ in Christ who 14 years ago, he's speaking about himself, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for man to utter. 
of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. So Paul, many believe that this situation happened when Paul was stoned there in Galatia, uh, in the region of Galatia, uh, in uh, Acts chapter 14 at the end there. Uh, we don't know that for sure, but it could have happened. He has this uh, near-death experience, or maybe he actually died. The apostles all thought that he was dead. Um, and he experiences paradise. He experiences heaven. And he says, uh, for me to talk about the things that I saw and that I heard, it should be unlawful. Why? Because human words don't do justice to what Paul experienced in heaven. The tastes, the sounds, the sights, all of it. It was more than he could comprehend. It was more than he could communicate. Paul was this amazing uh, linguist. He, he had such a way with words, these powerful Powerful words, and yet even Paul the Apostle couldn't put words to it. He, he couldn't describe how amazing it was. This experience that he had. As children of God, through the Davidic covenant, fulfilled through the person of Jesus Christ and His work on the cross, this is what we get. We get heaven, heaven we get this eternal, incorruptible inheritance laid up for us, First Peter chapter 1, verses 3-4 to four says. This thing cannot be taken away from us. No one can take this from us. We can't lose it. It's given to us forever. We experience it forever. Though we'll all face death, as, as David did, we can rest assured that if we believe in Jesus, there's something after this. This isn't the end. The end of this life is just the beginning. C.S. Lewis says this about heaven. Many of you might recognize the quote. He says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. When we recognize that there's nothing in this life that truly satisfies us. The most probable explanation is that we weren't created for this world. We were created for a world to come. All the things that we lack in this world will be fulfilled in the next. So he continues. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 5, speaking of this everlasting covenant specifically, he says, ordered in all things and secure. David was secure in the covenant that God made with him, even though David knew that he wasn't going to see it fulfilled in his life. David knew that he wouldn't be alive to see the fulfillment of this covenant. This was something God said he's going to do through in the future. This dynasty of kings through uh, whom which the, the, the Messiah would come out of. But God, uh, sorry, David, he, he knew that he could be secure and confident in God's promises. Why? Because every other thing that God had promised David in his life, it happened. Everything that God said he was going to do, he did. Why would David question this? He didn't. He was secure in this. Are you secure in the eternal covenant that God has made with you? As, are you secure as a child of God? Uh, are you secure as to where you're going when you die? Are you secure in regards to your standing with the Lord when He comes back? Because He wants you to be. John says this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. In 1 John 2, 28, he says, And now, little children, speaking of believers, he says, Abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. He says, abide in him so that you can be confident when the Lord comes back. Or you can be confident when you die to go and be with the Lord. Uh, when we abide in him, it, it breeds confidence. It produces confidence. It produces security in our salvation. And God wants his children to be secure. What kind of father would not want his children to be secure in their future? 
right? Every father wants their child to be secure in their future. I don't want Jude in his future uh, not knowing uh, how he's going to receive provision. I don't want Jude uh, growing up not knowing if if he's going to have food on the table that night. Uh, I don't want Jude uh, growing up uh, not knowing if, if we'll have the finances to make ends meet so that he can play sports and he can go to school and hopefully go to college if he chooses that route. Every good father wants their child to be secure in their future. The same holds true with our Heavenly Father. He doesn't want us to question what's going to happen to us. He doesn't want us to question our standing with Him when He comes back. He wants us to be confident with it. That's why Paul says in Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. That phrase, blessed hope, it literally means a joyful, confident expectation. He doesn't say, uh, you know, when you're considering Jesus coming back, you, you, you better be afraid and insecure. That's not what he says. He says you should be joyful and confident in your standing with him when you consider the fact that he's going to come back. He's inevitably going to come back. Whether that happens before we die or not, we don't know. Time will tell. But God, he wants us to be secure in our salvation. He wants us to be secure in the promises that He makes to us, especially the promise of eternal life. If you're insecure with the everlasting covenant that God's made with you, either you're not in right standing with God, or you're simply, and I find it's usually more often the case, that you're just not abiding There's some disconnection there in the relationship. And now I have insecurity. And that's what a lack of abiding produces. A lack of abiding, it produces insecurity. And John tells us in 1 John uh, 2, verse 28, that God wants us to be secure in our standing with Him, in our relationship with Him. He doesn't want us to question where we stand with Him. So David, he recognizes he can be secure in this everlasting covenant that God has made with them. He says, verse 5, For this is all my salvation and all my desire. David knew, first of all, that his salvation wasn't contingent upon his obedience. That's why he says, here's the standard. Me and my household, we didn't live up to it. Nevertheless, I'm secure in my salvation. Why? Because I know it's not about what I do, it's about what he did. It's not about what I said. It's about what he said. It's about what he promised. It's not about the fact that I broke my promises. It's the fact that he can't break his promises. He he will always keep his promises, whether we keep ours or not. He says, this is all my desire. This is my number one desire, my salvation. My number one desire is to spend eternity with the Lord. That's really what salvation is all about. It's not just about uh, uh, experiencing heaven and paradise. The only reason heaven is heaven, the only reason paradise is paradise is because God dwells there. It's the presence of God that makes heaven heaven. That's what it is. So if that's our desire, as it was David's, if that is my desire, my number one desire, if that's my focus in life, man, I can't wait to spend eternity in the presence of perfect fellowship with God and that desire is going to lead me to engage in that now to immerse myself in the person of Jesus Christ it's going to lead me to uh, immerse myself in a relationship with Jesus Christ if you don't desire to spend time with Jesus now then you ain't going to like heaven I'm sorry to break it to you but you're not going to like it you're not going to want to be there Because heaven's all about Jesus. It's all about spending time with Jesus. It's all about relationship with Jesus. So so if you don't like relationship with Jesus now, uh, or you don't like spending time with Him now, then I don't think you're going to like it in heaven. David, this was his desire to spend eternal fellowship with God. This is all my salvation and, and all my desire. And he says, will He not make it increase? In other words... If God said it, He meant it. Is God not going to make it happen? God made the covenant. He's not going to break it. He's going to keep it. Lastly, 2 Samuel chapter 23. 
Picking it up in verse 6. But the sons of rebellion shall all be as thorns thrust away because they cannot be taken with hands. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of his spear. And they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. He contrasts those who have this covenant with God and those who don't. uh, Sons of rebellion. And the truth is we were all born sons of rebellion. Every single person on the face of the earth uh, was born a son of rebellion. Paul discusses this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse verse 2. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, uh, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. We were all born sons of rebellion. We were all born uh, subjected to the wrath of God. Unless we receive God, unless we accept a relationship with Jesus Christ, unless we abide in Jesus Christ. It says, 2 Samuel chapter 23, the sons of the rebellion shall all be as thorns thrust away because they cannot be taken with hands. He speaks about this judgment that will come upon the sons of rebellion. Jesus says it like this in John chapter 15, verse 6. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. He makes it clear that if we don't abide in him, we don't remain in him, we don't have a relationship with him, then there's the eternal judgment. We can look at that, and I know some people struggle with that. Maybe nobody in this room. People struggle with this, the whole idea with God being a loving God and hell. But I think it really comes with a lot of misunderstanding. How can a loving God send people to hell? God's not sending people to hell. People are sending themselves to hell, first of all. And this is what it is. It's God's generosity. In other words, God's just giving people what they want. He's saying, hey, if you didn't want me on earth, if you didn't want a relationship with me on earth, then I'm not going to force you to have one with me forever. I'm not going to force you to have an everlasting relationship with me. If you don't want one with me now, you don't have to have one with me ever. But know that without a relationship with me, without experiencing my presence uh, uh, for eternity, you're going to experience the absence of my presence for eternity. So that means the absence of everything that's good, the absence of everything that's light, the absence that's everything that's life, the absence uh, of love and grace and mercy and affection. You're going to experience the absence of these things because you didn't want them on earth. So David, he speaks of these sons of rebellion that reject the authority of God, reject a relationship with God. And he says, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. With David's final words we see here, he remembers who he was. He remembers where he came from. He recalls how far God brought him. Little shepherd boy, all of a sudden you make me king of Israel and you tell me that the Messiah is going to come through my lineage, but he never forgot where he came from. He recognizes that even in his old age, even on his deathbed, that God still wants to use him, that God still wants to speak to him, and God still wants to speak through him. And then ultimately he considers the amazing blessing that he has in this everlasting covenant. He considers the life that is to come. These topics David speaks of here are topics that we don't have to wait till con- to, to consider until we're on our deathbed. Okay, we don't have to wait to consider these topics uh, until death is imminent, till until we're knocking on death's door. These are topics that we consider and should consider every single day. Man, where did I come from? Look what God's done in my life. God wants to use me. And God's given me this everlasting covenant, this hope of heaven. Sadly, sometimes we don't consider these things until we are knocking on death's door. But what if we lived each day considering the words that David says here, right in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 1 to 7. 
What if we lived each day just considering these things? Just these thoughts. How long would it take? Man, what God's done in my life, who I was, what I become, what he wants to do, how he wants to use me, the hope of heaven. If we consider these things every day, if we consider the fact that death is actually imminent right now, it could happen any moment. How would that change the way that we live? How would that change the relationships that we have? How would that change uh, our ability to be used by God? How would that change the blessings that we experience in this life? Because just like David, we're on borrowed time. What are we doing with it? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for... your goodness, God. And Lord, I thank you for David, his life, what you did in his life. God, it's so encouraging for all of us, the grace that you had in his life. The man after God's own heart, a flawed man like us all, but nevertheless, he never turned from you. He constantly had you on the forefront of his mind when he was a kid and up until his final days. Throughout his life, Lord, he considered you through thick and thin. And I pray, God, as we go throughout this night and this week and the rest of our lives, Lord, we would consider these thoughts, this wisdom that David pours out, Lord, and these would be words and topics that we consider on a daily basis. I pray that your word would radically change the way that we live our lives. God, we would recognize that we're on borrowed time. Any moment could be our last. Lord, that we would make the most of every single moment, that it wouldn't take a near-death experience or another near-death experience or us coming close to the end of our life to recognize what you're still doing in our life, God. Lord, so we thank you so much for the grace that you have on us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.